A new poll shows Americans aren't that proud of their country. The Supreme Court race heats up and President Trump goes to war on trade. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, it's the day before 4th of July, my favorite holiday of the year. 4th of July is just spectacular, of course. And we'll do some 4th of July talk today. We will also talk about why you should be proud to be an American because at least you know you're free. But we begin today first with our friends over at Software Advice. So the reality is that you have experts available to you on pretty much any subject under the sun except for the software that you use for your business. And this is one of the most important things that you can do for your business is have updated software, have the programs that you need that are going to ensure that your business runs as efficiently as humanly possible. But you don't have anybody to go to. Well, that's what Software Advice does for you. They've done all the research. Their team of advisors can point you in the right direction so you can start working more effectively right away. And it's absolutely free. You just go to softwareadvice.com slash Ben. You answer a few short questions about your business and then you are connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. And talking to an advisor just takes 10 minutes or less. Whether you're a medical professional or a construction manager or an HR pro, software advice helps you save time and money and make you a more informed decision. So if you're an entrepreneur or if you work solo, software advice is what you need. Experts are ready to be on call. They're your on-call go-to team. They help you figure out business software in minutes for free. It's a really easy solution to this problem that you've been scratching your head over. End the software struggle. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Ben to get started. That's softwareadvice.com slash Ben to connect with an advisor for free. Softwareadvice.com slash Ben. Whether it's tailored software program or generic, softwareadvice.com knows what you need. Softwareadvice.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben to let them know that we sent you. Okay, so there's a new poll out today on the eve of July 4th, and it's pretty discouraging. The poll suggests that less than half of all U.S. adults are extremely proud to be American. And when you confine that question to Democrats, that number falls to less than a third. Less than a third. Under one in three Democrats are extremely proud to be Americans. Now, I know there were similar polls taken during the Obama era. Republicans still said they were proud to be American. They just didn't like President Obama. Democrats tend to believe that the leadership of the country is reflective of the country itself. So when there's a president that they like, like Barack Obama, then they're very proud of their country. And when there's a president they don't like, like George George W. Bush or like Donald Trump, then they're not so fond of their country. They're not extremely proud of their country. I'm proud of my country having nothing, nothing to do with who the president is because my country is not the president. My country is not the people who currently constitute the government. My country is the country based on the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the philosophy that underlies that. My country is the country with a shared common history and a shared common value. Right? That's, that's the country that I care about. And if you don't see America as a set of eternal principles and values that outlive any single president or any single legislature or any single speaker of the House or any single Supreme Court justice, I would suggest that you don't have a valuable view of America in and of itself. You just think of America as what it is today as opposed to America as a manifestation of, the, of certain ideals. And maybe those ideals are being imperfectly implemented. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be proud of the ideals themselves or the history of America, which has freed more people from tyranny than any country in the history of the globe. Republicans have consistently said they're extremely proud to be American at a significantly higher rate than Democrats, according to Mediaite. This new number that less than half of all Americans are extremely proud to be American, this is a, a, a new low since the question was first polled by Gallup in 2003. Overall, 47% of U.S. adults are extremely proud Among Democrats, that number is 32%. Republicans have said they are extremely proud, much more consistently than Democrats, because Republicans are much more tied to foundational documents and to the system created by the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Also, Republicans are more likely to engage in displays of patriotism. There are a lot of good studies that suggest that if you take your kid to a Fourth of July parade, that in and of itself is a good predictor as to whether your kid will vote Republican or Democrat. Because if you feel there is inherent importance to the idea of America and to the symbolism of America, you're more likely to be Republican. Whereas if you think of yourself as a global citizen, as a person who's above and beyond these American ideals, you're a person who can stand outside America and cast a, a, a keen eye at the problems America faces, you're more likely to be a Democrat. The number dipped slightly to 68% of Republicans saying they were extremely proud to be American in 2016, but it's now 74%. Democrats conversely said they were extremely proud at a rate of 46% in 2016, but in two years that number has dropped by 14 points. And that's obvious why. That's because Republicans now dominate public uh, politics. So as Republicans have continued to dominate electorally, Democrats have become less and less proud of their country because, again, Democrats think of America as the government. They don't think of it as the American people or the values embodied by the American people or the founding values, which they don't like anyway. Democrats believe that the founding values merely enshrine racism, sexism, bigotry, and homophobia, that all of the Constitution, all of the Declaration of Independence was written as a way to enshrine property ownership by rich white men. 
This is the Howard Zinn view of history. And unfortunately, it's permeated large segments of the Democratic Party. It's a real problem for Democrats. It really is. Because most Americans generally, despite this poll, most Americans still kind of like the country. And when you have this Howard Zinn view of history, that George Washington was just a rich white slave owner who had no principles, and that he wasn't risking anything in the Revolutionary War, all these guys just wanted to keep their own property. When you believe that, you, you throw out American history. When you treat American history as just a series of power relations, what you're really doing is undermining what America is and what makes America good. The reality is that America is the only country in human history founded on an ideal, a stated ideal, and a good ideal. The idea that all men are created equal, granted inalienable rights by their creator. That, that is a unique proposition in human history. And the founding fathers may not have perfectly realized the manifestation of that idea. Right? Slavery still existed, obviously. Many of the same people who signed the Declaration of Independence. The guy who wrote the Declaration of Independence was a slaveholder. But it doesn't mean that the ideal that they were promoting wasn't a good ideal. It was a great ideal. It is a great ideal. And that's why I've always objected to the folks who kneel during the national anthem. I've always objected to this idea that you have to burn the flag in order to protest. It seems to me that what you really should be doing is saying, I love the flag, and that's why I think that we're not standing up in proper ways for it. I love the national anthem. I love the country. And that's why I think that we have to fulfill that dream. This is what Frederick Douglass did so well. He did a very famous speech uh, during the, the, the late days of slavery, uh, before the Civil War. He did a speech, very famous Fourth of July speech, in which he said, the Declaration of Independence is, uh, Declaration of Independence is a magnificent document, but it doesn't protect people like me. It should protect people like me. It should be universal. Let's look at the universal implications of the ideas pushed by Thomas Jefferson, and then let's go out and act upon them. Right? That's the way that people ought to question whether we're living up, or, up to our own ideals, but the ideals themselves are good. And this, this Marxist idea that all politics, all principle is really just a manifestation of what you want. It's all just power relationships, that the only reason that the Constitution exists is because there are a bunch of people who want to preserve their own interests. It's just not correct. It's just not correct. It was a lot riskier for the founders to fight against the greatest empire on earth than it was for them, it, much riskier for them to, to fight that, that empire and put all their property at risk. I mean, the Declaration of Independence pledges their lives, their, their, their wealth, and their sacred honor, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to the fight. There, there were founders who went legitimately broke in the course of the Revolutionary War, Robert Livingston among them from New York. He watched his house burn to the ground. George Washington, there's a, there's a story my, my business partner Jeremy Boring was telling me last night. Uh, George Washington, the, the British were threatening Mount Vernon. And apparently one of his, one of his staffers basically went out and, and begged the British not to burn down Mount Vernon. When Washington found out about it, he was angry. He said, listen, I pledged my life, my fortune, my sacred honor to, to fight this battle. To pretend that the heroes of America's past are not actually heroes is, is deeply embedded in a lot of democratic ideology right now, and it's really bad. It means that there's no commonality. You want to know why the country's breaking apart? Because we don't have a common mythology. We don't have a common set of values. We don't have a common concept of liberty. Even the things that used to unite us divide us. Go back to 1950 and listen to how Democrats talked about the Declaration of Independence. Look at the speeches and the writings of Arthur Schlesinger, and who is considered you know, the great intellectual of the Democratic Party. Look at the speeches of JFK. There's a lot of patriotism to Democrats in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Then in the 60s, it broke. In the 60s, it was decided that America was actually a bad place and that all of the evils that were obvious in American life were simply parts of, of a greater horrible hierarchy, that they were effects of this terrible American hierarchy, that the reason that there was racism, the reason there was Jim Crow, the reason there was this war in Vietnam, it was all because America had been built on the wrong basis. If it had been built on the basis of redistributionist Marxism with social ownership of the means of production, then everything would have been so much better. And the left has never gotten over this. So according to this report from Gallup, politics appears to be a factor in, in why so many people are not proud to be American, with sharp declines evident among Democrats and political liberals and no decrease among Republicans and conservatives. But that's the point, right? The, 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 the point here is not that Democrats dropped their support for the United States because of Trump. What's, in, what's actually kind of interesting is that Republican support for the United States or, or enthusiasm about the United States only rose like a little bit in single digits. In other words... Republicans are very much tied to these, these generalized ideals. And Democrats see these generalized ideals as bad unless they have a president in office who's fighting against those generalized ideals. The report says left-leaning groups' antipathy toward Trump and their belief that other countries look unfavorably on the president are likely factors in their decline in patriotism, particularly the sharp drops in the last year. But 
Again, I'd point out the fact that only a minority of Democrats said they were extremely proud to be American, even when Barack Obama was president. Which, which, that's a shocking statistic. It's a shocking statistic. I think there's, there's something else happening, too. And that is that there are a number of people who are just not appreciative of living in America because they have it so good. See, it's, the, everyone who's trying to get into America realizes that America is a great place. Right? Everybody who's trying to get in, illegally or legally, who's trying to cross that border, is trying to get here because it's better here. People around the world are trying to imitate the implementation of American markets and American constitutional ideas because they see that America is a powerhouse. And they look at their own lives and they say, our own life isn't that great. Maybe our life could be better if we started implementing some of those ideals. And in fact, when you implement those ideals, your country becomes better. When you implement free market ideas on a rock like Hong Kong, you turn Hong Kong into a thriving place. When you implement terrible ideas in, in a barren area, then you end up in poverty. So one of the things that's important to note here is that we are all living better in the United States and generally around the world than we ever have. Bill Gates is right. He's, he's the, obviously Microsoft co-founder, and he has pra he's praised the Republican-led Congress for rejecting the Trump administration's proposed cuts to the State Department budget, according to PJ Media. Gates pointed out that the foreign aid budget nearly doubled during President George W. Bush's tenure. But here is the point that, that he makes, and this is, this is the, the one that I think actually matters. He says that the world is better now than it ever has been. It's not really about how much we spend on foreign aid. This is where he's wrong. But he says that the world is a far better place than it ever has been in history. And that is essentially true. I mean, materially, that is certainly true. He says, by almost any metric, the world is a far better place today, less violent deaths, less disease, more education than ever in its history. It doesn't mean that we can feel complacent about that remaining burden. He noted that, uh, in, that in 1990, 12 million kids under five years old died. That figure is now less than 5 million per year. The world, he said, is 100 times less violent than it was 1,000 years ago. That is, the percentage of deaths that are violent is down dramatically. So attitudes have shifted. Obviously, the world is a better place. And I would suggest the reason the world is a better place is because of America. The reason the world is a better place is because of the United States. In a second, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. First, I want to say thanks to the USCCA. So one of the things that the United States has always enshrined is the Second Amendment. And as we approach 4th of July, it's important to remember that one of the reasons that we have our freedoms is because American citizens owned guns. And you should own a gun, too, if you're a law-abiding citizen. You should protect your family and your community and your country with those weapons. So like me, the USCCA believes the right to defend your loved ones with a gun is a God-given freedom. And in honor of the 4th of July, the USCCA is celebrating our forefathers and our Second Amendment freedom with the great American giveaway. Five lucky winners will each receive 1776 bucks to purchase the gun and ammo of their choice. It's really easy. Just go to defendyourfamilynow.com for your free entry. And then you can choose your gun, Ruger, Kimber, AR-15. No matter what you choose, you can get a really great gun and still have money left over for the ammo. Instead of drawing just one winner, they are drawing five, which means you have five chances to win. All you have to do is go to defendyourfamilynow.com to get entered. Your entry to win is to, to win $1,776 for guns and ammo. It's quick, it's simple, it's free. Just go to defendyourfamilynow.com. That's defendyourfamilynow.com. USCCA does great work educating gun owners, providing them with all the legal the, the, the legal help that they need in case they actually have to fire a gun. Defendyourfamilynow.com. Check it out. Defendyourfamilynow.com for your chance to win $1,776 for a gun and ammo of your choice. Again, it's defendyourfamilynow.com. Okay, so Bill Gates says the world's a far better place today. And then he doesn't really talk about why. He says that it must be because of the U.S. State Department budget. That's not why the world is a better place. The world is a better place because the rest of the world has embraced America's visions of markets because the rest of the world has engaged with the United States in an exchange of free labor, because the rest of the world has decided that America had it right in the first place. America has been the atlas holding up the world since World War II. It's been, virtually all global growth has occurred on the back of the United States. There are a lot of people on the left who believe that if the United States were to disappear or were to go European-style redistributionist, or if it were to go socialist, then nothing in the world would really change. What they neglect to mention is the fact that the world engine for, for growth is the United States. That is the, the engine of growth in virtually every part of the globe. We are the chief trading partners with a huge number of countries for a reason. We're not just the big market, biggest market, we're the biggest producers. The United States is a global engine of growth, not just because of free markets, but because of the values embedded in free markets. The idea that you own your own labor. The idea that you have a duty and a responsibility to go out and work. These are American ideas embedded in the Declaration of Independence, embedded in the Constitution of the United States. This is all stuff we should be proud of. When we look at the world, you know, there, there's, there's a tendency by, by even some on the right to look at the world and we say, well, you know, America hasn't seen the gains that it should have seen over the past 30 years, which I think is utter nonsense. If you look at the standard of living in the United States, the stuff that you can have now, 
versus what you could have 30 years ago, you'd significantly rather live now than, than live in 1980. Right? If, you, if you had to be born when I was born or be born now, you'd rather be born now. And it's just a reality. And I'm only 34. The world has gotten to be a better place since then. But even if you believe that, even if you believe that the United States uh, has, has not grown the way that it should, and then you look at global growth and you say, well, look at all these other countries that are growing so fast. That's due to American power. That's due to the fact that America is the greatest force for good in the history of the world. So if you're a leftist and you don't actually believe that a stronger America is necessary, look at the rest of the world where we have halved the extreme poverty rate in less than 40 years and think to yourself, maybe that's because the ideas that created the United States were the best ideas that anybody ever had for founding a country. And if you don't believe that, I think that you're, you're going to get America wrong. You're not going to be patriotic and, and you're not going to understand why it is that America is, is great in the first place. It's not just that we have to make America great again. It's that we have to understand why America was great in the first place so that we can make America great again. Okay, meanwhile, speaking of making America great again, the president of the United States is moving steadily toward picking his Supreme Court nominee. Right now, they are saying that the, the person in the lead is Judge Kavanaugh from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. I've said that I'm rather skeptical of Judge Kavanaugh. I, I don't think that he's going to be Justice Kennedy. I don't think he's going to be somebody who veers wildly to the left, but I certainly think that there's a possibility he could be Judge Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts. The reason I say this is there are a couple of cases in which uh, he ruled in, shall we say, too clever by half fashion. So he's a brilliant guy, Kavanaugh. There's no question. I mean, you look at his writing. He's a great writer, very, very smart legal theorist. But one of the problems I see is that there are two types of votes on the Supreme Court. There's the Clarence Thomas kind of vote on the Supreme Court, which is I will vote the way that I think is correct in every possible case. And I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm currying favor or cultivating votes among other members of the court. I'm not interested in the cohesiveness or, co of, or coherence or the, or the sort of collegiality of the court. I'm more interested in just voting the right way and saying what's true, which is Clarence Thomas's approach. And then there's Roberts's approach, which is I'm going to try to cobble together majorities. Now, sometimes you need to cobble together majorities on crucial cases. But Roberts has a tendency to do that by sacrificing principles. So I think most recently, there was a, a case in this term with regard to Masterpiece Cake Shop in which there were certainly five votes, certainly five votes, to say that laws that tell religious people that they have to cater same-sex weddings are discriminatory against religious people. And instead, Roberts decided, I'm going to cobble together a 7-2 opinion that is decided on very narrow grounds where maybe those laws aren't unconstitutional. It's just that they have to be implemented in the most neutral possible way. And that, 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 to me, is a mistake. I think Kavanaugh is more along the lines of Roberts. It seems to me that he's somebody who's trying to, he, he tries to do some consensus building. Uh, there's, a, there's one, there, there are a couple particular cases for, for Kavanaugh uh, that, are, that are sort of troubling. Uh, again, if he's, if he's nominated, he will be confirmed. Uh, it's, uh, but he, uh, but the, the case, the, the one that, that, is, that is most troubling uh, is Seven Skies. There's a case called Seven Sky. This is the, the Obamacare case. Uh, and in that case, he didn't go along with, uh, with the opinion that Obamacare itself was unconstitutional. Instead, what he said is, I'm not going to rule on whether Obamacare is unconstitutional because under the Anti-Injunction Act, I'm not allowed to rule on whether Obamacare is unconstitutional because basically the penalty under Obamacare is applied as a tax and, and be, because the Anti-Injunction Act uh, is, is sort of specifically worded, I therefore can't reach the jurisdictional question. Yeah, the, the, that logic that this was a tax and not a penalty ended up being used by Chief Justice Roberts and by the Obama administration in their arguments before the Supreme Court that ended with Chief Justice Roberts essentially greenlighting Obamacare. Also, there, there have been some complaints that, that Kavanaugh has been providing uh, some of his clerks to liberal justices at the Supreme Court. And there's more crossover appeal to Kavanaugh for sure with other leftist members of the court. And there, there are a couple of other cases that people are talking about. One is called Priests for Life. Another is called Garza. Uh, the, both, both cases are, I would say, at least slightly troubling. Uh, none of this is to say that Kavanaugh is, is going to be, again, a wild liberal. But it is to say that he has a tendency to be too clever in his rulings, at least on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. So it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in love with this. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not in love with the Kavanaugh pick. I'm not going to pretend I'm supremely enthusiastic about the Kavanaugh pick. I don't think that it is, it is going to, uh, again, do I, do I think it's going to be the worst thing in the world? No. But I also think that it's going to fall well in line with the, with the generalized mainstream Republican opinion now that we shouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. I don't think that Kavanaugh will be a vote to overturn Roe. Okay, just my speculation. I don't think he will. I think Amy Coney Barrett will. The other possibility that Trump is considering 
That will be it. And here's why I think this. Okay, so Leonard Leo, who's the head of the Federalist Society, which is a great group. I was a member in law school. Leonard Leo, he came forward. He said, listen, we're probably not going to overturn Roe. Okay, this is the guy who is the strongest advocate for Kavanaugh right now. He's the guy really pushing for Kavanaugh. And he's saying we're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade, which, by the way, ought to be overturned. Okay, I'm saying it straight out. Of course, it ought to be overturned. It's a garbage decision. It is a bad legal decision. It is a bad moral decision. It has nothing to do with the Constitution. But Leonard Leo, the guy who's actually helping Trump select the Supreme Court pick, is saying openly he doesn't think that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. You know, he's never asked this question of a nominee. We've never discussed it. And right now, there's only one justice on the court. Clarence Thomas, who has said explicitly he wants to overturn Rose. So there's a yeah. lot of speculation going on here, and I, I'm just very skeptical about, uh, you know, what people are suggesting might happen. So, um, you know, if you're getting that from Leonard Leo, then I would think that that's probably the way that it's going to go. Uh, it's, it's worth noting, by the way, that he was instrumental, Kavanaugh was, when he was working with the Bush administration and helping to, to push Chief Justice Roberts onto the Supreme Court uh, in the first place. Now, I understand there's a tendency to try and you know, make people feel a little bit more sanguine about whatever Supreme Court pick happens here. But this is not a time to make people feel sanguine. Just go for broke. Just go for the guy you want. Go for the woman you want. Go for the person you want who's going to rule the right way on these cases. It's why I've been suggesting Mike Lee all the way. I know that Mike Lee is going to vote the right way on these cases because I've discussed constitutional jurisprudence with Mike Lee. Because I know where Mike Lee stands on key issues. I don't know why you would possibly risk it with a mystery justice who may or may not vote the way that you want on these issues. And this is one of those areas where I think that it's, it's too bad that President Trump uh, doesn't take a, a higher level of interest. I think that he, farming it out to Leonard, to Leonard Leo and Don McGahn, his White House counsel, uh, I just don't see that as, as a particularly strong move. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk about Alan Dershowitz and, and incivility. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Blinds.com. So there's one part of your house you really don't think about a lot, and it seems irrelevant. But then when you think about it and then when you change it, it makes your house a lot better. And I'm not talking about repainting the place or, or building an addition. I'm talking about the blinds on your windows. You don't think about those a lot because who the hell thinks about their blinds? But when you look at them, go home, look at your window coverings, and uh, they're going to be pretty ugly. I'm just good good indicator. They're probably going to be pretty ugly. That's why you need blinds.com. And taking the time to pick out and buy blinds, it sounds expensive and kind of boring. Installing them yourself sounds harder than you want to admit, but blinds.com makes it super easy. If you're not sure what you want or where to start, Blinds.com gives you a free online design consultation. You send them pictures of your home. They send back custom recommendations from a professional for what's going to work with your color scheme, your furniture, specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person as it does online. Every single order gets free shipping as well. And here's the best part. Uh, the best part. If you screw it up, right, it's your fault. You accidentally mismeasure. You pick the wrong color. Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've made it really easy for you. There's no excuse to leave up those mangled blinds that make it look like you're, you're you know, from a trailer park in the 1970s. For a limited time, get 20% off everything at blinds.com when you use promo code Ben. That's blinds.com, promo code Ben, for 20% off everything. That's faux wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and more. Blinds.com, promo code Ben. Use that promo code Ben so they know we sent you. Rules and restrictions do apply. Okay, so it seems that the, the left is not going to give up on some of their insane tactics with regard to attacking folks on the right. Uh, there, there's a, a couple of stories that are, that are really bad out today. Apparently, there's a man who's now been arrested after threatening to kill Rand Paul and his family with an axe. So things are going really well. Uh, Rand Paul, of course, last year was badly injured when his neighbor tackled him over a matter of politics, supposedly. So Senator Paul said, the man had threatened to kill me and chop up my family with an axe. It's just horrendous that we're having to deal with things like this. Um, now, do I think, by the way, that you know this is regular Democrat? My guess is probably not. Do I think that the guy who shot the congressional baseball game was a regular Democrat? I don't think so. I don't think there's any indicator that that was the case. But there is no question that the Democrats are deliberately raising the temperature in the country, and they're treating people as heroes for confronting other people in public, right? Not by protesting, not by making an appointment for a discussion, not by speaking out, but by harassing people in public. So this is the most polite harassment that I've seen. And still, it's not, I think, a very good precedent. Scott Pruitt was at a restaurant, the EPA chief, Scott Pruitt, he was at a restaurant, and uh, a woman comes up with her child and decides to lecture him on why he should resign. Hi, um, I just wanted to urge you to resign um, because of what you're doing to the environment in our country. This is my son. 
loves animals, he loves clean air, he loves clean water. Meanwhile, you're slashing strong fuel standards for cars and trucks for the benefits of big corporations. We deserve to have somebody at the EPA who actually does protect our environment, somebody who believes in climate change and takes it seriously for the benefit of all of us, including our children. Um, so I would urge you to resign before your scandals push you out. Okay, you know, I'm not sure why this is a good thing. So people are, are treating this as like, this is a great thing. She's confronting Scott Pruitt in public. Not sure why. Not sure why. Like, do, do I think it's the end of the world? I don't. You know, I've, I've had discussions with people on politics in public before. Um, but do I think that it's good for the country that, that this sort of thing is happening on a more more regular basis? Not particularly, because I don't think that this woman is interested in engaged, engaging in a discussion. I think that the reason there's a camera on her right now is because she wants a viral video of her telling off Scott Pruitt. And that's what we've become. We're a country of people who want videos of ourselves telling people off. Uh, and, and none of this is particularly good. Now, there are a lot of people today who are making fun of Alan Dershowitz. So Alan Dershowitz, uh, I had him when he, I had Dersh when I was at Harvard Law School. And Dersh is a Democrat, right? He's been a lifelong Democrat. He voted for Barack Obama, I believe, twice. Uh, and now... He has been somewhat friendly to President Trump's to President Trump's sort of legal strategy, uh, and he's written a piece about why it is that so many people on the left are now sort of excising him from their lives. So here's what he writes, and he's getting made fun of for this. He writes, Congresswoman Maxine Waters recently told her supporters to hound President Trump's cabinet members wherever they find them. They're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them. Waters does not speak for all Democrats or liberals, nor do those who threw Sarah Huckabee Sanders out of a Red Hen restaurant. Neither do those who have harassed other members of the Trump administration. But these root extremists are a symptom of the times. The divisions have gotten so bad that many on both sides refuse to speak or listen to people on the other side. Either you're for Trump or against him, and that is all some people need to know to make judgments about you. Now, obviously, I think that logic has permeated every side, right? You're either for Trump or you're against him. When I was on Bill Maher, he said that right to start the interview. He said, you know, these days you're either a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. And then he said that I was on team treason, which is just demonstrative of the fact that he knows, number one, nothing about me, and number two, of the, of the polarization in our politics. Dershowitz is right about that. And then he gets into his personal experience, and this is where he's getting mocked. He says, I know this because I have experienced this firsthand on Martha's Vineyard. I am not a Trump supporter, nor am I a member of the Trump administration. I strongly and publicly opposed his immigration policies ranging from the travel ban that was upheld by the Supreme Court to the zero tolerance policy that led to the separation of parents and children at the border. I oppose other Republican policies as well. I voted for and contributed handsomely to Hillary Clinton. But I have defended Trump's civil liberties along with those of all Americans, just as I would have defended Hillary Clinton's civil liberties had she been elected and subjected to efforts of impeachment or prosecution. And then he says, I'm a liberal Democrat in politics, but a neutral civic libertarian when it comes to the Constitution. But that is not good enough for some of my old friends on Martha's Vineyard, says, says Alan Dershowitz. And for them, it is enough that what I have said about the Constitution might help Trump. So they are shunning me and trying to ban me from their social life on Martha's Vineyard. One of them, an academic at a distinguished university, has told people he would not attend any dinner or party to which I was invited. He and others have demanded trigger warnings so they can be assured of having safe spaces in which they will not encounter me or my ideas. Others have said they will discontinue contributions to organizations that sponsor my talks. This is all familiar to me since I lived through McCarthyism in the 1950s when lawyers who represented alleged communists on civil libertarian grounds were shunned. Some of those lawyers and victims of McCarthyism lived on Martha's Vineyard. I never thought I'd see McCarthyism come to Martha's Vineyard, but I have. I wonder if the professor who refuses to listen to anything I have to say also treats his students similarly. Would he listen to a student who actively supported Trump? What about one who simply supported his civil liberties? Okay, so people are making fun of him because Martha's Vineyard is very wealthy. And if, if, if Dershowitz is getting shunned on Martha's Vineyard, oh, play the world's smallest violin is sort of how the, the logic goes. But I'd like to point out the counter logic of the left. So the left itself has said that it is a refusal of human dignity. It is a refusal of human dignity for me and my synagogue not to perform your same-sex wedding. Right? It is a violation of your personal dignity for me personally not to approve of your behavior in any way, not just with regard to sex, with regard to anything. For me to withhold my approval of you is a denial of your self-esteem, and it's, a, it's an imposition on your life. And then the same people will mock Alan Dershowitz for saying, listen, I used to be able to invited to all these dinner parties. I said that Trump has civil rights, and now I'm not invited to any of the dinner parties. The point that Dershowitz is making is not that he's seeing some sort of brutal government crackdown. The point that he's making, and I think it's well taken, is that intolerance in our nation has reached a supreme extreme where nobody is even listening to one another anymore. They would prefer for these utopian schemes to play out one way or the other. So this is particularly true on the left, where they believe that Donald Trump is going to be removed from office through a deus ex machina. There's going to be something that happens. The ghost outside, there will be a god outside the machine who will intervene, stick his hand in, and Trump will no longer be president. And if you don't believe that, 
well, you don't belong in our religious clique. And he's not wrong about that, Dershowitz, when he says this. When Dershowitz says that he's being excised, the only thing that he's wrong about is that this is something new. This isn't new at all. This was happening during the Bush administration. Every Republican that I know, when they go to a Thanksgiving dinner, is shunned by their Democratic relatives. I know very few Republicans who've actually shunned their Democratic relatives when they come over for dinner. There's a reason that conservatives avoid bringing up politics when they're in the context of their, of their family events, whereas Democrats have no problem doing it whatsoever. People on the left are constantly bringing up politics at family dinners because they understand that conservatives tend to be more tolerant. Polls show this, by the way, that conservatives tend to interact more with people on the left than people on the left tend to act, interact with conservatives. But the, the, the mockery of Alan Dershowitz that, oh, he's rich and, oh, he's Jewish and, oh, he teaches at Harvard Law. Therefore, why is he complaining about how people treat him? This is coming from the same people who whine nonstop about how they are treated by people to whom they have no right to affection. Right? It's, it's mind-bogglingly, mind-bogglingly hypocritical, but perfectly within line with, with, with how the left thinks, which is that they have all these rights from you, but you have no rights from them. The answer is we, none of us have a right to love from, from anybody, right? None of us have that. Um, but we all do have, I think, an obligation to civility, an obligation to civility, and that is going by the wayside uh, in pretty obvious fashion. So in just a second, I want to talk about that political divide a little bit more. First, uh, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So $21 trillion in counting. That's our national debt. That's money we owe other countries. It's greater than the entire economic output of the United States. If your entire life savings is tied to the U.S. dollar, you might want to ask yourself what happens if the Chinese start selling American bonds because of our debt that we're not paying off. Gold is a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against uncertainty and stability with precious metals. It is a safe haven against that sort of uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified and yours should be as well. The company that I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for people who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. So look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to safeguard the money you've got. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And you already know about Birch Gold's free information kit. For a limited time, qualified purchases can earn up to an additional 10,000 bucks in precious metals for free through July 31st. To find out if your purchase qualifies, contact Birch Gold right now. That's birchgold.com slash Ben. Talk to a Birch Gold's rep. Mention I sent you. That's birchgold.com slash Ben. Do it now. The offer only runs until July 31st. Terms and limitations do apply. Ask your sales representative for details. Okay, so speaking of, we're going to talk about the political polarization. First, go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. $9.99 a month. Get to a subscription to dailywire.com. When you get that subscription, get the rest of my show live. Yes, the rest of the Andrew Clavin show live. Michael Knowles' show live. You get to be part of our mailbag on Fridays. Also, when we have episodes of The Conversation or special episodes like we did last night with Jordan Peterson, then you get to ask questions if you are a member. And for $99 a year, you get the annual subscription, which is even better because you get this, the leftist tiers hot or cold tumbler, which has been automatically refilling day by day as the Supreme Court selection grows ever closer to replace Anthony Kennedy. Go check that out right now. Also, subscribe over at our YouTube or our, or our iTunes channel. Make sure that you leave us a review. We always do appreciate it. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So the extremism of the left is on full display. The reason they feel fully justified in treating people badly is because they feel that you are an inferior human being. And again, I don't think there's anything new. I think that, that Alan Dershowitz has just been mugged by reality when he complains about this stuff. I don't think that anything has changed. I really don't think anything has changed. So... I'll take for an example, Joss Whedon. So Joss Whedon has been a nut for a long time. And now Joss Whedon tweets out this today. Hey, far right, gonna beat you. Not gonna start a war. Not gonna shoot you, run you over, threaten your kids. Gonna beat you with passionate compassion, with journalism, activism, the law, with votes. Your rage is fear. Our rage is love. Our state is united. Happy fourth. It's that last, it's that second to last line that really is telling. Like, I'm glad that he's not going to start a war. By the way, if, if people on the left tried to start a war with people on the right, they should think about who has all the guns in the country right now. But that, that, that second to last line there, our rage is love. Your rage is fear. Our rage is love. No, your rage is not love. Your rage is rage. Your rage is rage. And I think that we live in an era of politics where anger is seen as authenticity. That if you are not rageful, if you're not screaming at the moon, if you're not baying like a hound at people, then that means that you're not passionate enough. We can automatically throw out your opinion. It means you're not authentic. The most authentic politicians are the ones who yell and scream at people. Those are the ones that we really should follow all the way down the primrose path. Those are the people we ought to engage with. The left believes this. 
Right? The left believes that they did not fight hard, hard enough against President Trump, that Hillary Clinton was too civil to President Trump. And that's why they need to, to go yell at people in restaurants. That's why they need to attack people at gas stations. That's why they need to mob people. Because if they do that, then maybe these Republicans will be taught their lesson. That's not how any of this works. You want to convince people not to vote for President Trump who voted for him last time? You're going to need to stop calling them racist. You're going to need to stop threatening their families. You're going to need to stop with the our rage is fear routine. Uh, our rage is love routine. Your rage is not love. Your rage is clearly fear. Your rage is obviously fear. This is not righteous indignation. This is, this is just anger. It's just puerile anger directed at the president and directed at the president's supporters. And the reason you can tell this is because of the disproportionate response to everything Trump does. If they were just angry when Trump does something wrong, then maybe I'd get it, right? If they just got angry over Charlottesville, then I'd say, okay, but that's not the, that's not the deal. Every time Trump does anything, they lose their minds. Anytime he, do, he, he performs any constitutional function, they suggest that it's legitimately the end of the world. That what we are watching right now is a breakdown in real time. That we are watching the, the apocalyptic politics that are going to end the country. And I just don't understand it. I just don't understand why anybody would look at America right now and think that we're living in an apocalypse. We're legitimately living in heaven. If you were born, in, if, you, if you were transported from 1920, you're Rip Van Winkley, go to sleep in, let's say, not even 1920, let's pick 1917. It's the middle of World War I. Okay, and two years away is the influenza epidemic. The, a year away is the influenza epidemic that's going to kill legitimately hundreds of thousands of people across the world. And you're living in 19, 1917, 1918, and you go to sleep, and you wake up, and it's 2018. We fast forward 100 years, and it's 2018. You would think you had died and gone to heaven. You would. You would think you were dead and you'd gone to heaven. That you died in the influenza epidemic, and now you're in heaven. That's how good things are right now. Okay, the fact that not for everybody, obviously they're suffering. Obviously there are people having a tough time. But the average citizen of the United States has a car, a microwave, central air conditioning, a piece of hardware that they carry around in their hand that has more computing power than NASA had when they sent somebody to the moon. Okay, and you're walking around with instant access to information and entertainment. You don't have to go to a movie theater anymore and drop money at a movie theater. Instead, you've got this information that's, that's available to you at every moment of the day. You, 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 can co- you can FaceTime with your kids when you're 3,000 miles away. And, and not just that. The levels of violence in American society are at record lows. They're not at record highs. Okay, they, we, we had a murder epidemic that took place basically from 1960 to 1994, and it started dropping then, and it's continued to drop. Okay, you, you can live in your neighborhood, depending on your neighborhood, most, most neighborhoods in the United States, you go to sleep at night, and you're not deeply worried that somebody's going to break in your house and murder you. Or that your house is going to get burned down. Or there's going to be a riot outside. Okay, that, that's, think about the, the progression in New York City alone. New York City was one of the most violent places in America. New York City is now one of the safest places in America. America has, has made heaven a reality, at least insofar as anyone in the past would have thought. And we are looking at it and we are seeing a hell. And maybe that's because we've got the wrong frame of mind. That's because we're not comparing ourselves to the past. We're not even comparing ourselves to what we could be. We are comparing ourselves to utopia that doesn't exist, but only exists in your mind. And we are comparing ourselves to a, a political system that has never been tried, that has never been, that has never been really attempted without leaving a lot of people dead. And we're comparing ourselves to this phantom that doesn't exist in reality. And then we're declaring that we have come up short. I mean, that, that's... That's the only way I can explain this anger, because anger, it seems to me, is coming out of frustration. And the only reason that Democrats would be frustrated in a world where same-sex marriage is legal, abortion on demand is legal, and they've got everything they want in terms of state intervention in a social safety net, basically, they're looking around, they're saying, this is hell? This is hell? Maybe it's just that they were so used to being on top for so long that when, when the American people said, hold up a sec, let's throw the brakes on and let's appreciate what's happened in the United States, and maybe let's, maybe let's think about whether we've gone too far in some areas, that they, they were so panicked about that that they saw utopia as something lost. And now they're frustrated and angry. Whatever it is, it's delusional. And that delusion is leading to a psychic break among a lot of hardcore Democrats that is going to lead the country in, in worse and worse directions. Okay, now meanwhile, I want to talk to you about this really funny study. So one of the things that I think is, is really funny is that the left is insistent that science is not a thing. Really, there, there are a lot of folks on the left who believe that real science is a manifestation of the patriarchy. And that biological differences are really not biological differences, particularly between men and women. They are, also, they are all socially constructed. So the left wants to hold that gender identity is fully biological, that if you're a man who believes you are a woman, that is fully biological, and there is no act of, of choice involved whatsoever. 
but it's also socially constructed gender itself. Gender is socially constructed, but your gender identity is biological. If you can square that circle, then um, congratulations to you because you are, a, you are either incredibly stupid or incredibly smart because that makes no sense at all. But it turns out that biology has some things to say about differences between the sexes. And those things don't always cut in favor of feminist notions about the differences between the sexes. So there's a study that the Daily Mail reports on today. They say women are more attracted to men who are sexist because they think they are more willing to protect them, provide for them, and commit to a relationship, scientists say. <laughs> so poor, poor feminist men who think, that they were going to, uh, who think that they were going to get some because they, were, because they were wearing the I am a feminist t-shirt. It turns out uh, that, you are less, that you are less prone to, to be the, the obvious victors in natural selection than the guy who just says, men are men, women are women, and men's job is to defend women. You know why? Women kind of like that, because women think that men's job is to defend women. Even women who believe that men's job is not to defend women believe that men's job is to defend women. All the same feminists in the Me Too movement who think that men are predators then yell at men who didn't do enough to protect women. Not, not men who are rapists. Men who didn't protect women enough. Why? Because they understand there's a social obligation that is real, a moral obligation for men to defend women in a stronger way than men defend men. Men don't defend men as strongly as men defend women. Just a reality. And women like that. Oops. So it says men who are considered to be sexist in a well-meaning way, for example, if they're chivalrous or think women need a man to protect them, may be more attractive. Even though women find these men patronizing and can feel undermined by them, they're more likely to want to couple up with them than with men who don't give them special treatment. Right. Feminists still want men to pick up the bill when they go to coffee. Researchers say women may be hardwired to think the benefits of being with a kind but sexist man outweigh the downsides. The scientists maintain that despite romantic and flattering elements of the relationship, even well-meaning sexism reinforces the idea that women are inferior. Okay, this is the part of the study that's dumb. Okay, it, really, if, if women really believe that a man opening a door for them means that they are inferior, that's because women have a complex that they cannot be cured by a change in men's social status. I don't know a secure woman on earth who feels terrible that a man opened a door for them. It says, even women who consider themselves strong feminists show the same preferences in the study by British and U.S. researchers. So it's not internalized misogyny, ladies. Okay, it, you can be as feminist as you want to be. And it turns out you still want a dude who's going to protect and defend a family. You know why? Because women are built to have kids with men. And men are built to have kids with women. And women are built to need protection by men from other men. This is, this is not just among human beings. Okay, This is true among the chimpanzees. The reality is that dominant males are not just physically dominant, they are also protective of their brood. Scientists from the University of Kent and Iowa State University carried out five tests to explore the theory that women are more attracted to what they call benevolent sexists. Benevolent means well-meaning or kind. Experts define the sexism as men who, for example, think women are more delicate or should be cherished or looked after by a man. Okay, I don't know why that's sexist. Women are more physically delicate. As a, general tr as a general truth, that is a biological truth, women are more physically delicate on average. That doesn't mean that I, that I am less physically delicate than Serena Williams. Okay, Serena Williams could beat the crap out of me. But the reality is that on average, men are stronger than women. Women are more physically delicate than men. Duh, sorry to break it. Okay, and also, that, that women. why is it sexist to say women should be cherished? Why? I, I'm just confused. Would you rather I say that women shouldn't be cherished? Now, I guess we should just treat women like the garbage I treat all my male friends like. Men treat each other like crap. Are you kidding? Like, have you ever been in a group of men? All they do is sock each other in the nuts and talk crash, trash to each other. Like, that's really what guys do. <laughs> like, I, it seems to me that women should be pretty happy that men cherish them. But, and, and that's not sexist. That's, that's because women should be cherished because women are more special than men. And they do require a certain level of protection. They say that sexist attitudes were the norms for decades. This has shifted in recent years. But heterosexual women's preferences for partners may not be moving on as quickly. Why? Because it's embedded in biology. The researchers test found women are more attracted to men who have benevolent sexist attitudes and actions than they are to men who treat them as equals or don't give them special treatment. So this is really, really funny. Uh, so even, even feminists are, uh, are uh, by the way, it says that women are also attracted to, get ready for it, popularity, money, muscles, and intelligence. Oh, you mean like the basics of natural selection still hold for human women? I can't believe it. But I guess we're all supposed to pretend that all this is a social construct. That really what, what, what men want is a soy-drinking soy pajama boy who sits in his mother's basement all day and reads feminist literature. That's, that, that, that's, what, that's what women are really looking for. Yeah. Well, good luck with that, dudes. Really, so, solid luck with that. Okay. Time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, uh, things I like today. So, let's do, let's do a movie. So, A Quiet Place. 
Uh, this is a movie with uh, John Krasinski who's in, and directed by John Krasinski as well with Emily Blunt. Uh, John Krasinski is very good in the movie. Emily Blunt is terrific because she's really a, she's a first-rate actress. You know, when, when I think of actresses who are the best working today, I think Emily Blunt is probably the best actress working today. I think she's better than Natalie Portman. I think that she is like significantly better than Natalie Portman, who I think is wildly overrated. I think she's better than Kate Winslet, who I really do like as an actress. Uh, Emily Blunt is just terrific. Uh, this is a, a very kind of small horror film. Uh, it was It's only about an hour and a half long, which is how long movies should be. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I see you're saying Amy Adams, but no, I, I think I, I would prefer Emily Blunt over. I do like Amy Adams as an actress. She's very versatile, but Emily Blunt is a better actress, I think. Um, but this movie, the basic premise of it, it's, it's what they call a high concept horror film. So the basic premise of it is that these aliens invade Earth. We don't know how they got here or what they've done to the rest of humanity, uh, but they are blind. so They can't see anything, but they can hear pretty much everything. So if you make noise, then they will hunt you down. So it's about this family that sort of lives on a farm. Uh, and the, one of the kids has a hearing dif difficulty, so all the people can speak sign language. This obviously helps protect them against the aliens. Uh, it's, it's really atmospheric and really creepy, but it's also quite meaningful pro-life and pro-gun. So I, I doubt that they meant this when they wrote the film, um, but it is a pro-life, pro-gun film. And ba one of the basic issues is that as this is happening, you know, and you're not allowed to make noise, uh, the Emily Blunt, who's the wife in the film, is pregnant. And there's never a thought about, like, should she have the baby or not? She's going to have the baby. Well, babies make a lot of noise. And so obviously this is a serious issue for the film. So here's a little bit of the, the preview. Like, they pray before meals. Like, it <laughs> it's a really conservative film. Yeah, there's not a lot of talking because the movie doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Like what, what, it's um, the, the uh, you know, it's never, never make a sound is sort of the is sort of the slogan. It, the, the movie begins with just this horrifying scene. I mean, it's in the preview. Um, it's the first three minutes of the film. This horrifying scene where one of the kids makes some noise and uh, an alien basically kills the kid. It's it's really really upsetting. But unlike other horror films that sort of treat you know the the death of children as almost a fun aspect of the horror film, like it's treated with actual sensitivity. Uh, it's treated as as a real you know a real thing that tears the family apart. It's, it's a very good movie. It's a very good movie. Like, I'm, I'm very impressed. It made a ton of money at the box office. Um, and I think one of the reasons that it made a ton of money at the box office is twofold. One, horror films right now are doing hot, hot stuff at the box office because to experience a horror film in, in a communal setting is very different from watching it individually. So when you watch it on your phone, you watch it at home, it's not quite as scary. You watch it in a theater with a bunch of people who are reacting the same way that you're reacting. Comedies and horror films uh, are, are going to do better at the box office Big action flicks that have, you know, obviously you require a big screen for them is a different thing. But I think horror films are doing huge business because it still requires sort of a communal feeling. Um, but beyond that, the movie did really well because the movie is tightly constructed. Okay, the movie is not a wasted, it's not wasted space. And also, it doesn't, it doesn't make some, it doesn't make some political actor the bad guy. It's really more about the solidity of the family itself and the family unit and the importance of the family unit. Really good movie. Go check it out. A Quiet Place. John Krasinski, uh, who directed it, and did he write it as well? Um, he, he, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, he's the star of it with his wife, his actual real life wife, Emily Blunt. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. So Starbucks will never be left alone, ever. Starbucks will never be left alone. So now that they supposedly barred a black guy from a bathroom in Philadelphia, a story which I still have significant doubts about. Um, because, again, there are many cameras in that Starbucks. The person behind the counter, the barista, who is supposedly the evil racist, turns out to be an SJW you know, woman. Uh, in any case, they've now shut down their restaurant for three hours to retrain everybody in implicit bias, which is a bunch of crap anyway. Now, Starbucks advisors say that the company's anti-racial bias training in response to the arrest of two black men in a store in Philadelphia is not enough, according to D.C. McAllister over at The Daily Wire. They're proposing a civil rights audit of the company to make equity its number one concern. So former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz contacted Heather McGee of the Equality Advocacy Group, uh, group Demos and Sharon Eiffel, uh, Eiffel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund after the arrest in May for advice. Always a mistake because they return with advice. And what is the advice? The advice is spend a lot of money on us. Right? They want a top-to-bottom civil rights audit because Starbucks, when I think Jim Crow, I think Starbucks. 
When I think Bull Connor, I think that barista behind the counter with seven earrings, three tattoos, and a gender binary and a gender non-binary identity. I think that that person is the is the new that that is the new avid, that that's George Wallace back there. I know when I see that person, I think, man, that's a, that's a person who'd sick dogs on black people if that person could get a chance. If that if that non-gender binary, bisexual, pansexual, tattooed hasn't held a job except for being a barista among diverse peoples. That 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 person, that's the guy I'm really afraid of. That guy's John C. Calhoun back there. So here's what they say. They say that this this should include a top to bottom civil rights audit, more resources for employees encountering customers with mental health and addiction problems, and the creation of a customer bill of rights to be posted at each store. A customer bill of rights. You have the right to be you have, you have the right to be served as the customer as the as the restaurant wishes to serve you. You do not have a customer bill of rights. This whole idea of a customer bill of rights is so stupid. You have a market choice. When you have a market choice, you don't have a customer bill of rights. A bill of rights is necessary against the government because the government can actually impede on your rights. You don't have a right to anything from the restaurant. If you walk in and you say, I have a right to your food, the restaurant rightly would say, no, you don't. Because you didn't pay for that food. But the idea that you have, a, you have rights against other American citizens when it comes to their, their private business transactions is just inane. They say that uh, they, they found some improvements, these people did, in the Starbucks understanding of the nature of unconscious bias, but they decided that they need a more rigorous evaluation. So I guess that we're going to actually put all of the Starbucks baristas in rooms like Clockwork Orange. We're going to pry their eyes open with the, with, the, uh, with the metal thingies, and then we're going to make them watch over and over 12 years of slave until they understand that slavery has to do with coffee or something. Uh, and then it says that the policy manuals need to be overhauled to prioritize equality throughout the company culture, and clearly direct employees on managing customer relations, including how to respond to incidences of discrimination, bias, and harassment. This is the problem. Uh, You know what? Starbucks deserves this. Okay, they had this coming. So I don't hate it that much because Starbucks decided they were going to dip a toe into the pool of the SJWs, and now they're going to to just move into this. uh, They're now going to just move into uh, this sort of of biased retraining full-time. Fine. You dip your toe in the water. There's that video that came out of this woman who was putting her hands in the water near a shark and a shark bit her finger and pulled her into the water. Uh, and everybody's like, ooh, it was shocking. Okay, that, that video is a metaphor for Starbucks. Starbucks decided to put their finger into the water with the SJWs and the SJWs just dragged them under and now they're ripping off their digits one by one. So enjoy, Starbucks. I hope that uh, that coffee is some solace to you. All right, we'll be back here tomorrow with all the latest updates. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Carmina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.